0: Well, hopefully those videos and testimony give you just a little bit of an idea of what God did this week uh, It is an excellent ministry there And if you would pray that we would continue to see fruit that comes long after Teams are on site doing these projects as the families that worked with are considering the gospel and the things that were shared with them uh, Please be in prayer as well as I mentioned earlier for our Poland team uh, There are some little uh, green prayer lists around the room you can pick up That has information on how you can pray for our team that's in Poland now and our next team that we're going to be praying for next week that will be leaving on the 19th, so if you keep them in prayer. If you haven't already, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 15. That will be our text today. If you have been with us, you know that we have been walking through Genesis uh, since the beginning of the year. Uh, Just not long ago, we got into Genesis chapter 12, looking at the, the life and the call of Abram, who will later be called Abraham, and we have been walking through his journey and as we've been following along with Abram's story we've seen how we can identify it within the sense of we, we all have a decision to make on whether we will walk by faith or walk by sight and we see this decision in the life of Abram we see times when he certainly does walk by faith and we see other times when he fails and he doesn't uh, ultimately it comes down to this question that I want you to consider today is the God of Abram a God we can trust Not do you believe in God, but but can you and do you fully trust Him? Because that is what walking in faith means. It comes down to trusting Him. And that's what we're going to unpack as we look at the text today. So if you would follow along with me, we're going to read Genesis 15. Remember that this is the very Word of God to us. Moses, inspired by the Spirit, records these things, not only for the edification of God's people throughout salvation history, but for us. Here at Bloomfield today. And so I pray that you would receive it as such. So let's look at this. Genesis 15 beginning in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, And number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you should go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, To your offspring I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kedmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. If you would, pray with me for our time in God's Word this morning. Lord God, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray that you would help us to understand what we have just read. Lord, this seems like a strange conversation, a, a strange practice of cutting up animals and walking through the pieces. Lord, give us an understanding of what this means. And Lord, help us to see the gospel in Genesis 15. And Lord, I pray for any here who is yet to repent and believe and trust in You. Lord, that they would today. I pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you were to reach into your wallet right now, assuming you have a wallet, and you were to take out a bill, assuming you have one in it, uh, I have at least a dollar to my name, you would see something on the back that says this, In God we trust. Now that is a a statement that we throw out there. It's one that we, we print on our money. In God we trust. It's one that to some they hold tight to it, to others they are offended by it. In fact, there's one group that even now, has filed a lawsuit against the U.S. Treasury to, to remove that statement. Uh, many people view that statement as kind of antiquated, this, this old statement that we're kind of moved beyond, and yet it's interesting to find when you study it that the phrase, in God we trust, didn't start appearing on our printed money until the 1950s. Uh, it was during that time that the Cold War was going on and uh, the, the, the U.S. Uh, Congress was wanting to, to make a clear declaration that we are different than the Soviets. We are different than who we then perceived to be our enemies. And the Soviets were known to be atheists. And so they decided we need to make a clear declaration that we are not like them. And so they wrote into law or proposed a law that the national motto of the United States would become, In God We Trust. President Eisenhower signed it into law and the next year it started appearing on money. And it has ever since. Uh, this phrase was put on there essentially to say, God's on our side. We believe in Him and we're different than you are. You know, I wonder though, how many of us really trust God? I'm not asking you if you believe in God. I'm assuming if I asked right now, how many of you believe in God, that I would have a an amen chorus and you would raise your hands and we all believe, but... There's a difference between believing things about God and fully trusting in God. When we look at this issue of walking in faith in the Scripture, we find a call not just to believe, but a call to trust. In fact, we receive a chilling reminder when we read what James says. He says, you believe in God? You believe He's one? The demons believe. See, the question is not, do you believe? Simply believing does not save you. There's a step beyond belief, a step of trust that we're calling we're called to, and that is where we find saving faith. And that is what we see here in the life of Abram in Genesis 15. If you remember what's taken place before here, you remember, as I've already said, there's a a struggle in Abram's life to walk by faith. And that struggle continues as we get here and get to this issue of trust. And so I want to look to that struggle in hopes that we might better identify with and understand our own struggle and ultimately place our faith and our trust fully in Christ. Beginning with point one in your notes there. Walking by faith means trusting in the promises of God. When we say we're walking in faith, we're not just simply saying we believe something. We're saying we trust something. Remember, this trust has been a hard thing for Abram. Genesis 12, God says, Abram, I want you to leave your people, leave your land, go to a place I'm going to show you, I'm going to make you a great nation. Abram trusts God, he does that, but there's a problem. If you remember, the problem is his wife Sarah can't have children. So God's going to make him this great nation, and yet his wife is barren and they can't have kids. But he continues to walk with the Lord. He struggles in that walk. He struggles to trust God in the famine, so he goes down to Egypt. He struggles to trust God there in Egypt. He's sent back to the land of Canaan. And in this struggle, as time is going on, God continues to reiterate his promise to him. He continues to tell Abram things like, listen, Abram, you're going to be a great nation. I'm going to give you many offspring. And yet the problem is, Abram still doesn't have a child. Maybe you can identify with that. Maybe there's times in your life where you feel like you've got this picture of what you think it is God's going to do. But then he doesn't do it. You've got this this mental image of the picture that you think is one day going to sit on the mantle. It doesn't turn out that way. And in those moments, you and I are challenged. Are we truly going to trust God? See, it's not so hard for us to trust God when everything's going really smooth, (laughs) you know? Super Bowl trophy in your hand. I just want to thank God, you know? But when we're in the pit, show me that interview. See, it's, it's a hard thing, but it's what we're called to, and it's what we see Abram doing here as he walks by faith. He, he's got to trust God, and yet he's struggling to trust God, and the Scripture gives us a picture of this struggle. It says that God comes to him in a vision, and he tells Abram, Abram, listen, you don't need to be scared. Abram, I'm going to be your shield, and I'm going to give you a great reward. What's the problem? Abram's looking around going, I still don't have a child. God, you're the one who promised this. I was doing fine over here with my barren wife in the land of my forefathers. You called me out of this. You said this is what you would give me. I'm walking with you. But this is still not coming to fruition. And Abram struggles with that. And we see this struggle here. And so Abram then does what I think we often do. When God doesn't do what we think he should do or he's going to do, sometimes we tend to try to think, take things in our own hands. We stop trusting in God and we trust in ourselves. And so that's where Abram is in this passage. God's given him all these possessions. He's got all this stuff, but he still doesn't have a child. So there's this question of an heir. So Abram here says, Well, God, I continue to be childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Well, who is Eleazar of Damascus? We don't know a lot about him, but essentially the indication is this. This is a servant in Abram's house. And in Abram's day, it was customary, if you did not have a male heir to pass down your possessions through, your rights through, then you could pick a servant from your household. And this servant then, in essence, became your heir. And what Abram is saying here is, God, I believe you, but I'm not so sure I can trust you. And so, this is how it's going to work out. I'm going to have to find my own heir. And this is who's going to be my heir. Abram, in a sense here, is having a little bit of a pity party before the Lord. There's kind of this sense where he hasn't gotten what he thought he should get. And so, he's just declaring things to be awful and it's never going to change. We do the same thing. Our kids, our grandkids, maybe you've had that dinner time debate when your kids ask you what's going to be for dinner, which is kid language for I hope we're having pizza and ice cream. And you know whatever you say is not going to satisfy that question of theirs, which when you tell them, well, we're having a salad and grilled chicken, yay, that's going to prompt the, well, I'm not hungry, or that's not what I want. Or, maybe better yet, well, I'm not going to eat that, and I'm never going to eat again. Wrong. <laughs> but, but that's kind of that, that childish attitude. Now, I'm not getting what I want, so I'm just done with you. That's exactly how we are to God sometimes. God, you, you did not show up like I thought you were going to show up. You didn't do what I thought you were going to do. God, the problem is I believe you can. And so I'm forced to understand that you could have, but you didn't. And I'm not so sure I want to trust that. And we wrestle and we struggle. And that's where we see Abram here. And notice how gracious God is to him. God could have simply said to Abram, Abram, be quiet. (laughs) Abram, I'm, I'm just tired of this. What does God do? God graciously takes Abram and says, Abram, Eliezer of Damascus is not going to be your heir. You're going to have a son. Your very own son. I will keep my promise to you. You can trust in it. And then God does something so gracious. He takes Abram and He says, Abram, I want you to look up to the stars, Abram. Can you count them? Have you ever tried that? You go out on a clear night... You look up at the stars. You ever tried to count them? You really can't. Theoretically, I guess you could, but you'd be wrong because there's more stars than you can even see. I mean, imagine if you were somehow, you you took a chart and you charted them all out and you counted every single one of them. You had the exact number. And then somebody comes along and says, well, did you use this telescope yet? (laughs) And you look through the telescope and all of a sudden you're like, oh man, there's a lot more stars. You write down that number. And you think, yeah, hey, i figured it out. And then somebody else comes on. Well, I've got a bigger tail. And you can never count. They're just infinite. And God takes Abram out and he, he graciously gives him this picture. Abram, my childless servant who's trusting in himself. Look at that. And He gives him a glimpse. He gives him a promise. And He calls him to walk in faith. And friend that is exactly what God calls us to do as well. The walk of faith is not an easy walk. And there are times when we are looking to promises that God hasn't even really made to us. And, and then we get mad because God didn't do what we thought He should have done. And, and, and we're mad at God for something He never really promised to do for us. We, we think that He owes us. You know, God, I've trusted in You. I've followed You. So, how about a good report from the doctor? God didn't promise a good report from the doctor. Lord, I've trusted in you. I've followed you. And everybody I work with, they cheat and they lie. And I'm trying to walk the line here. And I'm the one who gets in trouble. God didn't promise you that your work was going to be easy. That your life was going to be easy. That walking with Him was going to be easy. In fact, He promised that it'd be hard. Jesus says, you're going to suffer. Jesus says, you're going you're to get the blessing of life in me? And you're going to experience death with me? But the ultimate victory will come. And we receive the promise as followers of Christ that Abram received and has promised. A new heaven, a new earth, a land that we will inhabit with our King. And that promise is before us. But we must trust in God and walk in faith with God him. and as we do, we experience what Abram experienced. Point two, God credits our faith with righteousness. Verse six says this, and he, speaking of Abram, he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He, he believed that the, the Hebrew word there is "Amon." that sound familiar? The root word there is amen. The the word amen, what that means is to agree with, to trust in, to fully support. So, So I say something from God's word that you believe in and you support and then you say amen. Now if I ask for it, it doesn't count, but that's just an example. We say amen because we agree, we trust in, we believe. It's not just I'm done praying and I'm ready to eat. It's, I'm a believer. That's what Abram is saying here. This is what the text is saying of Abram. Abram was a believer. He was a truster. It wasn't just intellectual agreement that, okay, God, you can do that. Okay, God, I know you could do this. It was, Lord, I believe you will and I will walk with you. And the text tells us in response to Abram trusting, Abram being a believer, the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. And in this verse, Abram stands then as a model in the New Testament of what saving faith looked like in the Old Testament. So you ask the question, I ask the question, well, you know, how were people saved in the Old Testament? What did that look like? This is what it looked like. See, Paul actually writes about this in Galatians. He's writing to a group of people who are struggling with this notion that perhaps you have struggled with, that I know I have struggled with, this notion that we can earn our salvation, that, we, that by our works we can be saved, that, that, that we can just really work out our faith in a way where then we are saved. And if we don't work at it, then we're not saved. And Paul says, wrong. Paul says, no, you you are saved by faith. Just like Abram, who was declared righteous not by his works, but by his faith. I mean, my goodness, think of the works we have seen from Abram so far. I mean, sure, he trusted God in a season, but he didn't do so well. I mean, some of his works were failing to trust God, going to Egypt in the midst of famine, giving his wife to another man because he was scared that he might get killed. If Abram's salvation, his righteousness was dependent on his works, then we wouldn't have much here, but it wasn't. And that's what Paul says in Galatians. No, no, look look to Abram. He was declared righteous by his faith. You and I, as Abram, we receive the Word from God. We respond to it in faith. The Scripture says we repent and we turn from our sin and we put our... Faith in God's Word and His promise. And then we receive the righteousness of Christ. On the cross, He takes our sin. And in repentance, we receive His righteousness. This is the biblical model we have. This is the clear answer we're given. Are we saved by works? Absolutely not. And not only that, point three. God goes on in this text and in our lives to guarantee our faith through His covenant. This is where we come to a part in the text a little bit unfamiliar to us. You know, Abram's like, well, how do I really know this is going to happen? And God says, well, go get a heifer, a goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and throw in a pigeon. You know, and thinking, okay, we're not going to the state fair here, God. Well, what is this? This is very unfamiliar to us. Well... In context, in Abram's day, when, when two parties would come together to make an agreement, to make a covenant with one another, th- this is a practice they would do. They would take animals and they would cut those animals up. And they would essentially make a path. And then what they would do is they, together, they would make this agreement with one another. And then they would walk down this path in the middle of animal carcasses. A little bit different than just signing papers in the lawyer's office. Here's why they did that. So that one might then look to the other and say this. If you don't fulfill your end of this arrangement, so shall you become. And if I don't do what I promised you I'm going to do, it will be better that I am cut up in pieces like those animals i'm thinking about bringing this back when people boys come to date my girls you want to take her out let's go out back for a minute what's the chicken for you're about to find out do do you get the gravity of this this isn't a handshake this isn't a, well, my people have looked it over, my people have looked it over. Yeah, I think we're good. This isn't a, oh, we found a loophole. <laughs> this is an absolute covenant promise that was made. And in this context, notice how it is made. Abram is looking to God saying, God, how do I really know this is going to happen? God says, I'll show you how you can know. And God makes a promise to him. But notice the promise he gives. Will these things come to fruition? God has promised, absolutely. But God doesn't just say that. You you would expect at this point God to say, well, here's the covenant. Uh, Your offspring are going to inherit the land. It's all going to be good. That's not what God does. He includes that, but he says, okay, Abram, you want to know how this is going to play out? People are going to suffer. 400 years, your offspring are going to suffer. And they're going to be enslaved. But I'm going to bring them out of that. And these Amorites, I'm not done with them, so they're going to be dealt with. And ultimately, I'm going to keep my promise But Abram, it's going to be hard. Now, Abram, you're going to die at a ripe old age and you're going to go to be with your fathers. But Abram, you're not going to see the land. You're not going to dwell in it. See, God holds this promise out for Abram and in one sense He says, here it is. In another sense He says, you you can't have it like you think you're going to have it. But ultimately you will. Because ultimately His promise to Abram is His promise to us. It's a new heaven and a new earth. Ultimately His promise, His word to Abram is His word to us. In this world we will have trouble. And we will have affliction. And we will have suffering. But there is a better world ahead for those who follow Jesus Christ there's one more thing I want you to note about this. See, in this covenant arrangement between two parties, that that commitment was, okay, whoever breaks it, you're going to get sliced and diced like these animals. And so they would walk through together, making that agreement together. But notice who walks through the parts of the animals in this text verse 17 says when the sun had gone down it was dark and behold a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces that that is an image that is a picture of the very presence of God going through these pieces without abram god himself walks through those pieces god himself is the one that will keep that covenant This will not be in Abram's hands. This will not be in your hands. God Himself says to Abram, I am entering into a covenant with you. And Abram, you're going to inherit this one day. Abram, your offspring are going to get this one day. What's the problem there? The problem for Abram and his offspring is this. Isaiah 59, Your iniquities have drove a separation between you and God. Our sin has separated us from God. The wages of sin is death. So so how can we be in this covenant relationship with God when we break it? Because God himself walked through, and God himself is the covenant keeper, and God himself would break his son on our behalf. See, this is the gospel, friend. The Gospel is not try really hard and get dressed up on Sunday and make sure your kids go to VBS. The Gospel is we deserve to be broken in pieces because of our sin. And yet God Himself walked through the pieces and God Himself placed His Son on the cross and Jesus Christ was broken, the Scripture tells us, for us. And the promise of the Gospel is for everyone who will bow their knee to that cross, confess that Jesus is their Lord, believe, amen, the promises of God, we will be saved. Not because we have the power to do that. But because God is our covenant keeper. Because God walked through those pieces. And because ultimately, God broke His own Son that we might have life. And that's why when we celebrate things like the Lord's Supper and we pick up that little tiny cracker and we are reminded that Christ was broken, there's purpose to that. It's because somebody had to be. And He bore that for us, friend. And we are called to respond to that word in repentance and faith. I realize that for some of you, your faith may just be a slogan written on a dollar bill. For some of you, like in my own life for years, my, my faith was a bumper sticker identification. Well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I mean, I'm an American. I believe in God. But friend, I didn't have saving faith. I had not been, bowed my knee to the cross of Christ and repented of my sin and, and trusted in Him and come to the Word of God and said, Amen, I believe this. I will trust this. And friend, if that is you, the call for you today is this. Repent and be saved. The call is not do you believe. The call is are you ready to trust Him? And I'll let you know a little Something you'll still struggle to trust Him because there's a lot of us here this morning who are struggling to trust Him. It's bowed our knee to that cross a long time ago. But part of the Christian life is we ask questions like Abram asked questions here and we want to know, God, you've said this or I thought it would be this way and it's not working out this way. Lord, how do I know? You look to that cross and that's how you know. Because God's a covenant keeper. Because God sealed His covenant in the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Because He says one day, while you may suffer and you may have affliction and you may wrestle one day, friend, a new heaven and a new earth. You can trust in that. I pray that you will. If you would, pray with me. Father, we come to You this Lord's Day in Jesus' name. And Lord... I confess, even in studying this Word, Lord, I struggle so often to trust You. I believe, I I know things, but Lord, it's hard to trust. And so Lord, I cry with these people today, Lord, we we trust You, but help us to trust You more. We, We have faith, we believe, and yet help our unbelief. Father, I pray for any who is yet to repent and be saved and respond to the gospel oh lord jesus i pray they would and lord for so many who have perhaps they have been walking in sight and they've been identifying the eliazers in their life the way they're going to work it out lord do you convict them of that convict me of that and call us to walk in faith we pray for these things in christ's name amen